thank you that in Jesus Christ we have this foundation for our souls. Lord, we have uh, everything we need in him. And so God, as we continue this morning to focus on you, to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, as we celebrate baptisms and what that means for changed lives, Lord, would you continue to move here in us to make us more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can have a seat. Well, good morning. Um, my name is Dave. I'm one of the pastors, and uh, like Eric prayed, we get the joy of celebrating with a couple 
uh, cross pointers who were going public with their faith and getting baptized. Uh, before they have an opportunity to share their stories, before their baptism, I want to share a little bit about, uh, uh, about baptism, what it is, what it isn't. Water baptism is a public profession of our faith in Christ. In, you, in the New Testament, you see that water baptism followed a person's salvation. To become a Christ follower means we repent and believe the good news. Repent meaning we, we change our minds about who God is. We change our minds about the direction we are walking. And we, in a sense, we turn around. We agree with God and we don't, no longer disagree with Him, but we agree with Him and we walk in obedience to Him as our Lord, as our Savior. To believe the good news means we've placed our entire faith and trust in Christ for our saving work, that apart from Christ, we would be lost. And apart from His work on the cross, that our sin in our hearts, our sin problem would not be dealt with. Instead, a Christ follower agrees with Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. So we repent and believe the good news. We agree with Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, which says in the ESV, for by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. So salvation doesn't come from the work of baptism. Salvation is a gift of God received by grace and through faith. What baptism is, is a picture of our salvation and what Christ has done for us. Romans 6, 4 says, We were, there, we were buried, therefore, with Him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too may walk in newness of life. And so our sin was covered. It was washed away. It was buried on the cross, and in the resurrection. And the water baptism being buried under the water is a picture that we've been washed, that our sin has been taken away, is separated as far as the east is from the west, and it's been buried. And then we are raised up out of the water, a picture of the newness of life that we've been given in Christ, the new direction, the new start, the new birth that we've received in Christ. I love the stories of Danielle and Heather and how the Lord has worked in each of them, bringing them about to the saving knowledge and, and the joy that it is to know the Lord, a joy that Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 is, that salvation is by grace and through faith. And so Danielle is going to get baptized first. And uh, Danielle, how about you come out and share your story? Hello. Um, I've been coming to Crosspoint for about 10 months. Um, when I was growing up, I always knew that giving my life to Christ was something that I wanted to do. But as I grew older and began to face more and more trials, I handled them the wrong way and began neglecting my relationship with God. I spent most of my high school years with a huge gap between me and God, and I basically ignored that my relationship with Him just was not there at all. It was not until a few months ago that I recognized that I wanted to change myself and needed to. The recognition of this still was not enough for me, and I still did not accept Christ as my Savior. I went months feeling guilty about the way I was living my life, but my pride was bigger. I was trying to do life on my own. I wanted to wait to give my life to Him until it was convenient for me. Coming to Crosspoint has definitely had a huge impact on my life. It was here that I witnessed my first communion. When I first began attending here, I would listen to Dave say, if you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior to take communion, and I would pass the tray by me every time. I knew that by saying I accepted, saying I accepted 
Jesus Christ into my life, I was lying. Doing this broke my heart a little bit more every time. Watching communion made me actively realize that I was living my life without God, and I felt very scared about how if Christ would come back today, what would happen to me. I longed to be able to trust God and accept him as my savior. I knew that I couldn't keep living this imperfect life alone. At this point, I was so ready to let go of my pride and my sin and everything else holding me back. I can't even describe the peace in life I found the night I completely surrendered to God and the peace in life I found every day after that. I've been able to confide in a God that has a much bigger plan for me than I do. This all the more makes me realize what a great and mighty God we serve. Danny, is Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior? Yes. I now baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Heather, you want to come out? I've struggled with substance abuse for the last six years. It got so bad to where I was taking 10 Vicodin a day and five Adderall a day also. I didn't think I had a problem. I thought everyone just hated me, so I started isolating myself from everybody, my kids and my family. It got to the point where I had to take two pills to get out of bed. I, ha I hid my problem from everybody. I lost my mind, control of my life. I did something I knew I was wrong, but I still did it. I ended up getting arrested and spent 15 days in Woodford County Jail. While there, I realized I had a problem, but when I got out, I went back to using. I tried to quit several times with no luck. I hated myself for what I had become, but I couldn't do it by myself. Even when I was surrounded by a lot of people, I felt alone. I finally admitted to myself and Eric that I couldn't do it alone and wanted God in my life. I said, I see all these people happy and I couldn't even remember the last time I laughed. I accepted Christ in my life. Since then, I have not used. I'm happy and I enjoy time with my kids. I talk to God several times a day and it brings me a peaceful feeling. I know even when I'm by myself, I'm not alone. I love myself more now that I have God in my life. I know I can't change my past and I lost all those years, but I have a brighter future now and I owe it all to having God in my life. Isn't that great? I love that. Um, this is David, Heather's son. I had the privilege of baptizing him a, a couple years ago and I I have an even greater privilege, I'm so excited, today to watch him baptize his mother. Right? Amen. And here's why. Because it's not about them. 
It's about the transforming work of Jesus Christ in both of their lives. Amen? And the command for all of us to go and make disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. David, look at this disciple-making thing that's happening here. This is going to work through their family and maybe into your life today as well. And so that, man, that excites me. And it, I'm stoked. So let's get in the water. Are you Jesus, Lord, your Savior? Yes. Then I now baptize you in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. pray. Uh, Father God, thank you for uh, your transforming work in our lives. Thank you that you call us away from trusting in ourselves and you call us to, to trust in you. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you that, it's, um, that salvation is by grace and not by works. And thank you for the opportunity we have to celebrate that this morning, celebrate your work in lives. I pray for those here who you're, you're calling to get baptized, you're calling to get uh, to go public with her faith in Christ. I pray that uh, they would do that. I pray they'd walk in obedience to that and honor you in that. I pray for sun chasers, the kids, the teachers, as they head back to their classes. God, I pray that you would be at work in that next generation. Thank you for the beautiful testimony it is for them to be able to uh, be in this room and to witness your work in, uh, in others' lives. I pray that you would help the teachers, help the volunteers, the leaders back there to faithfully plant and water. And God, may you cause the growth. And we trust you in that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, kids, you can head back. Uh, as they're heading back, I want to share with you an update on, our, uh, on the Crosspoint staff so you can be aware and be praying. On August 21st, we shared with you that uh, Krista Swanson was stepping down from her role as administrator and bookkeeper uh, on the staff. She's graciously been at work still in this interim time, giving us time to pray and seek the Lord on what he has for us next as a staff. Uh, for many years, Krista had those dual roles of bookkeeper and administrator. And so moving forward, we've decided to split those roles into two different people, a bookkeeper and then um, what we're calling a ministry coordinator. On the bookkeeping side, Crosspointer Robin Honig is uh, going to step on and agreed to come on and be our bookkeeper. She's going to work two to three hours a week, and so we're excited about Robin joining the team in that capacity. And then this other role, the role of ministry coordinator, we've decided to post for that role among the Crosspoint family. So you'll see a job description and the type of candidate that we're looking for. You'll see that on email this, uh, t later today and then also on our website. It's a part-time role, probably around 12 to 15 hours a week. We're accepting resumes over these next couple weeks through September 25th. And so for all those interested, we'd encourage you to apply. We anticipate a lot of different people will, in a sense, raise their hand for this. And so we're trusting that God will call the right person for this role. Through all of this, as an elder team, we'd encourage you to be prayerful with us 
for his wisdom, for his direction, for his clarity as we seek what is next for us as a staff and as a church. We're moving forward, praying with anticipation and expectantly about how God is going to move and work. And so if you have any questions at all about that, feel free to talk to a member of our uh, elder team. All right, first impression team, if you want to begin passing out the connection cards in the back, that'd be great. If this is your first Sunday with us, or uh, if you've been gone from Crosspoint for a while, uh, we started, uh, let's see, a month ago, we started passing out these booklets on a Sunday morning to better get an idea of who's attending and, and how we can be praying and next steps that you uh, have for us, uh, that the Lord has for us, and those kind of things. If you're new with us, fill out the gray box. If you are a regular attender or member, you can fill out the top. If you have kids already checked back in at Sun Chasers, you don't have to uh, write their names on there. Students, we'd ask you to fill out your own card as well. Every household, fill out a card. Uh, if there's a next step that applies to you, if it's baptism, mark that. If it's a community group, community groups are launching up uh, this, uh, this month, and so we'd encourage you to uh, get involved in a group. And then also a prayer request. If there's an opportunity we have to join you in prayer, we'd love to do that. You can tear that off, slide it in the left-hand pocket, and who's ever last in the row, just put that underneath your seat. All right, uh, one more thing I want to share with you before we get into the message. Discover Crosspoint. As you're doing that, as you're getting in, uh, doing the connection card, this fall at Crosspoint, we are asking all current members of Crosspoint and those who are newer to Crosspoint who want to, uh, who desire membership, who desire that as a next step in their life, to go through Discover Crosspoint. So for some of us, that'd be going through it again. For others of us, that'd be going through it for the first time. Over the past several months, the elder team has come to the conviction that as a church, we want to grow in learning what it looks like to live as the family of God, to live and operate as the family, what it looks like to follow Jesus together alongside one another in ministry and in mission. We really sense that God is at work in great ways in our church. We're excited to see us grow in our, grow in our understanding of what the New Testament teaches on the local church. The content of Discover Crosspoints have changed a lot through the years. And so this fall, we'd really like to unite and align us around uh, one common content and curriculum. We've created three dates this fall, uh, September 25th, October 16th, and November 6th. Back at Guest Connections, you'll see signups for uh, September 25th and October 16th. Not November 6th, because I don't know about you, but I have no idea. Well, I know what I'm doing that day, but you may not know what you're going to be doing that day. And so you can sign up at Guest Connections. You can also sign up online. You find out more details about all of this on our blog or on our website. One thing we've clarified is that membership is for seventh grade on up. It's not just for adults. Membership is for those who have trusted in Christ, who've gone public with their faith and baptism, seventh grade on up. Because we, one thing we talk about is that the church, that the next generation is the church of today, not just tomorrow. Well, we need to be doing that in church membership. It's not just something they do at age 18 or something. It's something they can do now. And so we'd encourage you students to be involved. The New Testament gives several pictures of the church. For example, a, a body, a flock, a house, or a temple, if you will, a family. And in each of those, you see the importance of being together, being united, being committed to one another, being connected to one another. That's what I believe God wants to do in us, in our church, drawing us closer to Him in relationship and drawing us closer to one another in relationship. Again, reminding us that in Christ we are no longer orphans, but we are brothers and sisters 
in the Lord. My desire for these Discover Crosspoint times is that they be great times of encouragement, good times of fellowship with one another, a chance to meet other people who call this church home, opportunities we have to pray for one another in those times. And in a sense to say, uh, to corporately say, I'm in or we're in when it comes to committing ourselves afresh to the vision of being devoted to Jesus, dedicated to one another, and driven to reach people. So sign up today, either at Guest Connections or online. Being uh, the 15th year anniversary of 9-11, one last thing before we get into the message is I just want to pray, um, and then we'll get into uh, 1 Kings 19. So, uh, Father God, uh, today of all days, we are reminded that life is precious, that um, uh, evil exists in this world, and that you are our only hope. God, we thank you for those who lay down their life for our freedom. God, we thank you for first responders who are willing to lay down their life for our rescue and for our safety. I thank you for the picture that is of the gospel, that you, Christ, laid down your life for your friends. I thank you for the reminder, again, that life is precious and that, God, teach us as your people to be wise with the time that we've been given, to not squander it, to not just kind of go through life and, and, and miss you or to miss the mission that you've called us to. I pray that you'd comfort those who grieve today. I pray where there's a spirit of fear of man or spirit of fear of the unknown, I pray that you would remove that and we would instead be a people who would fear you and to worship you and to love you and to live in reverence of you. Thank you that you're good, that no evil can come from you, that you are gracious, that you are kind, that you're abounding in love, slow to anger. So, Father, do your work in and through us. Continue to expand your kingdom, expand the gospel. Remind us of the brevity of life and the significance of the mission that you've called us to. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have a Bible, turn to the book of 1 Kings in the Old Testament. We'll be in chapter 19. If you, have a, if you don't have a good Bible, we'd encourage you to grab that. Uh, grab one at Guest Connections. Let that be our gift to you. One thing I love about the Scriptures is the honest evaluation they give of a person's life. Inevitably, you see the imperfections and flaws of the heroes of our faith. You see their sin on display as much as their success. So we see that Peter walks on the water, and then we read that he sinks into the water when he takes his eyes off Jesus. We read of the incredible missionary and church planter that Paul was. But before we ever get to that, we see that Paul approved of and sanctioned and loved the persecution and hatred of Christians. We love the story of David and Goliath, right? David overcomes the giant, and then we get to David and Bathsheba, and we see the utter failure of David. What I love about scriptures is that those stories are not removed. They're not cleaned up. They're not dressed up. But rather, in those, we see that the characters of, of Scripture are, in need of, are in, uh, as, as in need of God's grace and mercy as we are, that they've fallen short of God's glory and perfection. 
That's one reason we know the Bible that we hold in our laps is not inspired by man. Because if it was you and I doing this, we'd clean that up. We'd take that out. Peter would say, you know what? Could you take out that part where I deny Christ three times? He would, but he didn't. So we see the sin of the characters of the Bible. But there's one whose character stands alone. It stands as flawless, as perfect. He did exactly what his Father in heaven asked him to do. Jesus. This is why he's the Savior and why you and I are not. That's why his sacrifice is perfect and flawless. That's why his sacrifice can actually atone or cover our sin. So last week we were introduced to to the prophet of Elijah. We saw an incredible display of God through Elijah. It was a mountaintop experience, not just because it happened on Mount Carmel, but because it was this incredible display of victory. But not even a a chapter later, in chapter 19, we read of the despair and discouragement of Elijah. And really, if we look at 1 Kings 18 and then 1 Kings 19, we see this small picture of what you and I experience in our lives sometimes as Christians, where it feels like we are on this mountaintop and then suddenly we find ourselves in a valley or where we're super encouraged in the Lord, and then later that day we get an email, or something happens at home, or something happens at work, and we're suddenly discouraged and despair. We went to Colorado this summer for our family vacation. We love the mountains. They remind us of the greatness of our God, the majesty of God, the the beauty of God. And then when you drive home, you hit the eastern side of Colorado, and then you make your way into Kansas, and hopefully if you're from there, I I ask your forgiveness already, I might might offend you right here, Uh, but you hit the eastern side of Colorado, you go into Kansas, and you're like, Rocky Mountain High? Like, where where are you? You look in your rearview mirror, and there they go, and you're you're in the land where the fields are aplenty, and the the roads never change. They're straight. You look at the GPS, and you're thinking, how much longer until we get home? This is what we're thinking. So this is where we went. Now, There's beauty about that landscape. Don't get me wrong about that. But in a matter of a day, when you go from the Rocky Mountains to fields, the ordinary, mundane of fields, they just don't really compare. And as we walk by faith, it can feel that same way. For me, maybe for you, Sunday mornings can be this high, this great time of singing, the opportunity to be encouraging to one another, encouraged by the Word, hear testimonies of baptisms, and then by Tuesday I can sense this discouragement kind of creep in. This focus to shift inward, this focus to begin to look at my circumstances rather than my creator. Maybe you can relate. We have this great victory in some area of our lives, and then we experience some great defeat just a couple days later. Or we see the evidence of God at work, and then in a matter of a week or two, we've completely forgotten that. We Oh, God was faithful? I... I completely forgot. The experience of getting baptized can feel that way. Compared to the Rocky Mountains, it is a 14,000 foot elevation day. But then you understand that not all of life is lived at 14,000 feet. That you follow and trust in Christ. You walk by faith on mountaintops and in valleys in the ordinary or mundane, so to speak, of daily life. There are cross-pointers Families who've experienced loss in the past year or maybe discouragement about this or that. And maybe you find your heart this morning in a valley. 
I pray the Spirit would encourage your heart. It would encourage you through His Word. Earlier this year, I was sharing with a friend over breakfast about some discouragement in my life, and I loved his response. It was this, what did you expect? And he wasn't being rude. What did you expect? Did you expect it would always be smooth sailing, so to speak? And he proceeded to remind me in those moments of of how God was at work and to encourage my heart to, in a sense, lift my chin. If you're a parent, you ever done that to your child? You 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 lovingly take their cheeks and you raise up their face a little bit? That's what my brother in Christ did. That's what I pray the Spirit of God would do to us today if you feel like you're a little downcast, that He would lovingly take us by the face and lift up our eyes to see Him. If you're like me, we can forget that Jesus promised that we would have trouble in this life. We can forget that not all of life is mountaintops, that some of life is lived in the valleys. I found this quote from John Piper in the Leader Study Guide this week. He says this, It will be of great advantage to the struggling Christian to remember that seasons of darkness are normal in the Christian life. I don't mean that we should not try and live above them, he writes. I mean that if we do not succeed, we are not lost and we are not alone as the fragment of our faith cleaves to Christ. So if we find ourselves struggling today, may the Spirit encourage and refresh our faith in the Lord. In 1 Kings 19, we'll see, we'll find Elijah in a time of despair. 1 Kings 18, Elijah was prayerful, faith-filled, humble. He was the prophet, the one prophet against 450 false prophets. The story was nothing but, was nothing but triumph, pure victory, utter defeat for the enemy. Thus far, we've seen Elijah experience incredible miracles, God feeding him through ravens, through birds dropping off food, through God answering a prayer, bringing back a son from the dead, calling down fire from the sky to demonstrate God's glory and his awesomeness. As a result, God bringing bringing about repentance in people's hearts, people turning back to the Lord. If there was ever a Sunday high, It was 1 Kings 18. But chapter 19 is the stark contrast to that Sunday high. And yet, we'll see that God is still present. He's still faithful. He's still near. And he's still at work. Verse 1, Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Ahab's the king. Jezebel's the queen. And neither of them worshiped the God of the Bible. And Ahab's telling Jezebel about this moment on Mount Carmel, about how all the prophets of Baal were destroyed. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. So the ESV is kind of clunky there. It just means I'm going to kill you. All right? Then he was afraid, and he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. So we saw in chapter 18 that Jezebel killed, had this track record of killing prophets of God. And it's clear that Jezebel here, she hasn't turned back to the Lord, that this moment on Mount Carmel has not produced in her tenderness, but it's only produced a uh, more, more pride and more defiance against the Lord. And she sends a messenger to Elijah with a death threat. It isn't even her face-to-face with Elijah. 
It's through a third party. What's his response? He was afraid and he ran for his life. 120 miles south. This is the same guy who prayed and fire came down from the sky to display the Lord's glory and cause people to turn back to the Lord. Incredible victory. One chapter before. His encouragement should have been off the charts right now. His faith should have been, should have been at an all-time high. And his response after receiving a threat is to run. Isn't this a temptation that you and I face when we are discouraged is to take off, to escape, to run away? We have victory over the sin in our life and then we fall and then we're like, who cares? And we just begin to chase after the sin because we think, what, why bother? Or we hit this moment of discouragement in our marriage and we say, ah, it's not a moment, maybe a season of discouragement and we're like, ah, what's, what's the matter? And we just take off. Maybe we take off emotionally or maybe we take off physically. We've been hurt by someone, someone in the, in the family of God. And so instead of leaning into that and trying to reconcile, we say, oh, why bother? And so we escape toward isolation instead of running to the family of God. Because of this one threat, Elijah has failed to remember the past faithfulness of God. And the evidence of all that faithfulness wasn't that long ago. It's as if by midweek, he's forgotten all of it. His focus has changed significantly. His view has, has lowered. He became focused on himself and his circumstances and what's wrong and what's not working and why isn't this changed instead of the faithfulness of God. Alistair Begg said this, he started to look at God through his circumstances rather than his circumstances through his God. So the lens of his life, the glasses that he looked at, became his circumstances rather than his faith in an all-knowing, all-loving, all-powerful God. Elijah probably assumed that the miracle at Mount Carmel would have led to the salvation of the entire king's court. So Ahab, Jezebel, all the people should have turned back to the Lord in that moment. And they didn't, and he's discouraged. Verse 4, But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough. It is enough. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. So can you feel this discouragement that he's experiencing right now? He's praying the Lord would take his life. It is enough, he says. In a sense, he's saying this prophet work, it's exhausting. It's not joy-filled. It's stressful. And it seems to do no good. What's the point? He's saying he's no better than the previous generations who didn't obey the Lord. Elijah's thinking that he's actually to blame for the fact that people didn't turn back to the Lord. He's so quickly forgotten about how God has used him in just the previous chapter to cause people to repent and overcome idolatry in their life. Depression and discouragement have this notorious way of making us think that it's all bad, nothing's working well, it's all wrong. Or of making us think, worse yet, that God has forsaken us, that He clearly must not care, that He uh, does not hear our cries. And I love how the Lord responds to Elijah's prayer here. 
Now what we see, what we'll see is the mercy, the gentleness, the love of God on display. Verse 5, And he lay down and slept under a broom tree, and behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water, and he ate and drank and lay down again. So we've seen two messengers thus far in this story. One from Jezebel that issues a death threat, and one who's bringing cake. Probably not sweet like you and I like. Not a good white cake with delicious frosting, but cake, water, and rest. One bringing refreshment, and one bringing a threat. Elijah's discouraged. And what does the Lord do? He kicks him while he's down. No, he doesn't do that. He doesn't do that at all. He sends an angel with food, water, and rest. A broom tree looks like this. All right, it's a place of shade. And the shade there is rest. And so shade is, is rest from toil and uh, the exhaustion of, of the sun. If your kids play baseball, you're probably desperate for some shade this past summer, trying to find that. Listen to what Psalm 121.5 says. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. If you find yourself discouraged this morning, listen, the Lord is, o- is the only one who provides true rest and shade in our lives. See, our weak flesh, our sin nature will try to make us think that some substance, the approval of others, some relationship, our work, our money, that those things will, will give us shade. And all of, thing, all of those things are worthless compared to the shade that we find in Christ, the rest that we find in Him. Sometimes the most productive thing that you and I can do when we are discouraged is to rest knowing His mercies are new in the morning. Charles Spurgeon said this, The Spirit needs to be fed, and the body needs feeding also. Do not forget these matters. It may seem to some people that I ought not to mention such, such small things as food and rest, but these may be the very first elements in really helping a poor, depressed servant of God. Elijah's hungry, he's thirsty, he's tired, and the Lord meets those needs. God is gracious to deal with Elijah like this. You see the love, kindness, gentleness, nearness of God. Listen, the Lord already knows the trials and the tests that you are undergoing right now, that you've gone through, that you will go through, and He's, and he's promised that His grace is sufficient in those seasons. If you're discouraged this morning, if you feel like you, you were on a mountaintop, now you're in a valley, if you can't remember the last time you're on a mountaintop, so to speak, the season in your life, it didn't take the Lord by surprise. It didn't take Him by surprise. He does not forsake. Our God is both transcendent and imminent, meaning He's on high, He's holy, He's beyond compare, He's so full of glory that if we got a full glimpse of that, we'd be consumed. He's beyond equal, and He's also imminent, meaning He's near, He's personal. See, we make this great mistake in our view of God, when we make Him out to just be one or the other. When we either assume that God is untouchable, unapproachable, and forget that He came in the flesh to dwell among us. Or we treat Him as the big man upstairs. And we forget that He is utterly holy. 
utterly perfect to the point that we are called to live in fear of Him and reverence of Him and worship of Him. 1 Kings 18, the Lord brought fire from the sky. 1 Kings 19, He brings cake, water, and rest. So we see both attributes of God on display. Verse 7, And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food forty days and forty nights to Horeb, the mount of God. Don't miss the significance of the forty days and forty nights. It's a picture of God being faithful to his people. The Israelites wandered for forty years. Moses spent forty days and forty nights on the top of Mount Sinai. God was faithful in that time. We get to the New Testament, and Jesus is in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. At the end of that, God brings refreshment ministry to him. If you feel like you're in a wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights right now, listen, he has not forsaken you. He didn't forsake Elijah. He didn't forsake Christ. He didn't forsake Moses. He didn't forsake the Israelites. In Christ, we have the bread of life. In Christ, we have living water. In Christ, we know that His grace is sufficient for all 40 days and all 40 nights. Romans 12, 12. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Horeb is just another name for Mount Sinai. So Elijah has returned to where the Lord was faithful to Moses, where the Lord gave Moses The Ten Commandments and the law was given. Verse 9, There he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. Again, this is coming from the guy who just called down fire from the sky. And who saw people confess, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God, is how people responded. And yet his focus now is moved from the Lord to all these circumstances. His focus now is on what's wrong, what's not working, what's not done yet. His focus is on, is on what God was withholding or not doing in his eyes, rather than on what God was blessing and what God was doing or presently doing the scheme of the enemy has been around since genesis 3 that idea to to make us think that our god is not enough and that his ways are not for our good i have a friend the same friend who lifted my uh, face up to encourage me but the same friend says rejection oftentimes is god's protection sometimes the lord is not doing something in your life so that it would stir up your affections for him rather than that thing that we want to chase after. Sometimes he's withholding it so that it's for your joy and it's for your good. It's for his glory. Elijah was fixated on what wasn't happening yet and he was missing what the Lord was doing and how the Lord was present with him in this moment. Notice in the prayer, he doesn't mention any of the miracles that God has done in chapters 17 and 18. He's navel-gazing to the nth degree. 
I, even I only, am left. If his name was Eeyore, his name should be Eeyore right here instead of Elijah. I'm the only one doing anything around here. No one else seems to care. They've all left. It's just me, I guess. You ever felt like that? You ever been there? I, even I only, am left. And what I love is how the Lord is going to answer that. Not quite yet, but it's going to be at the end of this section. He's going to address that. Going on in verse 11, And he said, Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind, and after the wind an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? I love the question he keeps asking. What are you doing here, Elijah? Maybe Elijah had slipped into thinking that God was only transcendent. That he was only the God who brought fire from the sky. But what I love in this encounter is you see the nearness of God on display. Elijah is having this personal encounter with the Lord. He's being reminded of relationship. In the midst of trial and test, we need to be reminded that we don't serve this far-off God who's disconnected and who doesn't care. But we serve a God who is attentive and listens and is present. In 1 Kings 18, God reveals himself through fire, consuming an altar and an offering, 1 Kings 19, God reveals himself in quietness, in a whisper. Just like Elijah, we are prone to only look for God in the miraculous, and we miss him in the so-called mundane. So we see him in Colorado, but we miss him in the Kansas plains. We long for God to show up in extraordinary ways, and we miss that he works in the so-called ordinary ways, which in reality are extraordinary. For instance, when you and I open our Bibles during the week, we probably don't hear the hallelujah chorus go off. You probably don't see fire come down from the sky. If you do, let's have lunch. Let's talk. (laughs) You probably don't feel the earth tremble. But listen to me, that may feel mundane or ordinary, but in the reality, in those moments of reading God's word to us, there's nothing ordinary about that. And forgive us, Lord, for the ways that we have seen it as that, as ordinary, or as dry, or as mundane. His relevant, his sufficient, his authoritative, his true word to us. There's nothing ordinary about that. It's a soft whisper to us that God speaks to us through his word. Hebrews tells us it's living and active. Earlier this summer, I was in this room, and sometimes I, I come in here to get away from the staff. No, um, no I don't do that. Um, I love the staff. Just, that's a joke for like three people in the room. Um, and so, uh, so I, I, sometimes I come in here to walk among the rows to pray, uh, pray for you all, and just pray for ministry and those kind of things, and uh, not sit and just walk a little bit. Um, and so I was in here, and I was praying, and on that particular day, I was discouraged. 
just a feeling of being overwhelmed at the work of a shepherd, the, the burden that it is, it feels like sometimes, and I'm praying out loud, talking to the Lord, and the Lord reminds me of Jeremiah 1. No fireworks came off. It was just Jeremiah 1 popped in my head. It wasn't an audible voice. It was just Jeremiah 1. So I turned to Jeremiah 1, and I'm reminded of verses that an elder prayed over me and read for me on the day that I was commissioned as, as a pastor. He says this, um, Jeremiah 1 says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Ah, sovereign Lord, I said, I do not know how to speak. I'm only a child. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I'm only a child. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. And um, I'll, I'll be honest, I was just in tears reading this because the Spirit had led me back to words I needed to be reminded of, words to encourage my heart. And they weren't words outside of Scripture. It was just the Spirit leading me back to truth already, already revealed to us in Scripture. Words that affirm my calling, words that affirm His love for me. I'm not saying I'm Jeremiah. I got some low days, I guess, some melancholy maybe. Um, I'm not saying I'm Jeremiah, but the principles of being called out as a shepherd and pastor apply. And God's word was like a low whisper to my heart that day. Don't miss the Lord in the so-called ordinary moments of opening our Bibles and praying and fellowshipping with other believers. Don't miss how he speaks to us often like a low whisper through his word. We read in the Gospels that Jesus got away early in the morning to a solitary place to pray to his Father, to be with his Father. So can, I, can I encourage you and I to build some solitude into our lives, to not miss the extraordinary opportunity it is to be with our Father in heaven, with his word, in prayer, in his presence, in those times of solitude and prayer, don't just leave your Bible on the shelf. Don't say, Lord, speak to me while your Bible sits over there. For me, I often walk through here, but I do it with the Scripture in my hand because I want God's Word to be right there. I want Him to say, Jeremiah, I want, okay, I'm going to go there and be encouraged by the living and active Word of God. Notice that the low whisper caused Elijah to cover his face. It's this picture of humility before the word of God. He knew he could not bear to look upon the full glory of God. Moses had the same deal when he was on that same mountain. Understanding the awe-inspiring nature of our God, yet his nearness produces in us humility. You know the trick that teachers use uh, to quiet down a classroom? It's not to necessarily shout above the noise or to scream above the noise. It's just to speak in this low, quiet voice that slowly one by one and two by two and three by three and the whole class is suddenly attentive and fixed on the one whose low whisper has gathered all of them together. The whisper of God's voice through his word acts in that way. So when discouragement seems really loud and circumstances seem really loud, and your own sin seems really loud in your life. May we seek His voice through His Word. Allow it to be this soft, quiet, 
strong voice in us. Let me give you some psalms to look at this week. Psalm 42 and 43. Psalm 73. Psalm 145. Psalm 1 through 150. If you want a little... Reminds us, teaches us how to pray. You want, a, you want a book in the Bible that teaches us how to pray? The Psalms lead us there. The Lord asks Elijah this question again. What are you doing here, Elijah? Such a great question. First response is, woe is me. Second response is the same. He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazel to be king over Syria, and Jehu, the son of Nimshi. You shall, anoint, or you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, Abel, Meholah. And you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Hazel shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. We'll get to him next week. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. So Elijah thought no one responded to the Lord. It wasn't worth it. What's the point? I, even I, even I only, am left. And God reminds him that there are 7,000 people scattered up and down this country who worship not the false god of Baal, but the one true God. So he is not alone. Elijah thought he was all alone. If it was up to me, or if it's, up, if it's to be, it's up to me. And God reminds him this work is far bigger than him. But it's going to continue on, and he gives all these names. It's going to continue on. God will be faithful. God will deal with the idolatry. God will win in the end. God will have the final say. God is sovereign. Earlier, God gave food, water, and rest to Elijah. He now gives Elijah something to do. Go return on your way. He needed to get moving. See, there's a time to rest, to replenish, to, 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 to be refreshed, and there's a time to start moving, start living by faith, and stop wallowing. Elijah needed to stop looking at himself at his own circumstances. He needed to get on with what God wanted him to do. And God sends him back the same exact way in which he came. Charles Spurgeon wrote this about that journey back down that same road. Then the Lord did what perhaps was best of all for Elijah. He gave him some more work to do. He sent him off about his master's business again. And I warrant you that when Elijah went back over that road, it was with a very different step from that which brought him down to Beersheba. He had come down terrified and distressed, but now he goes back with the majesty that belongs to him. He is afraid of no Jezebel now. Sometimes the most productive thing you and I can do when we are discouraged is to rest, knowing his mercies are new in the morning. And sometimes the most productive thing to do when we are discouraged is to start moving, start walking by faith, start obeying, start stepping out of a comfort zone, stop wallowing. Sometimes we get so fixated on, on our circumstances. And I pray again that the Lord, Father in heaven, would lift up our gaze today to see him, to fix our eyes on him. 
If the worship team wants to come back up now, we're going to worship the Lord through song and uh, through giving. But my hope, again, is God's word in 1 Kings 19 would remind us of the nearness of God, to see that he's faithful when we are faithless, to see Elijah be prayerful when he is discouraged. You see, he's prayerful as much in 18 as he is in 19. He brings his woe is me to the Lord in prayer. I pray we'd lift our eyes this morning. We'd be reminded of Jesus that he is the bread of life, the living water. And I, I want to read uh, Psalm 73, 21 through 28. How about we stand up? I want to read these verses because they will lead us well, knowing that he is enough and that he's present The psalmist writes this, When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. Yet I'm always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all of your deeds. Father, give us a spirit that endures with joy. Remind us that in you we have a living hope. Help us as God's people to not grow weary in doing good, knowing that at the proper time a harvest is coming. Teach us to know what it looks like to bear with one another and carry one another's burdens. Convict our hearts to no longer flee from isolation, to to no longer flee from the body of Christ and turn toward isolation, but rather we we would flee from this idea that we can resolve things on our own apart from one another in the family of God. Teach us what it looks like to live as the family of God. Our cry is the cry of Psalm 73, that it is good to be near you, Lord. We've made you, Sovereign Lord, our refuge, the broom tree that we sit under and find shade and rest in. We love you. Minister to us as we respond in giving and as we respond in song. We trust you. We pray in faith. In Jesus' name, amen.
to seek a mountaintop experience, but to dwell in your presence. 
Would you open our eyes to see you in the mundane, to see you in the, in the everyday things? That we can be with you and that you are with us. We bring you glory and honor and praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us today. You guys are dismissed. me